You're listening to Bricks and Clicks, presented by MarketScale, with your host, Jennifer Kalo Ruskin. Hey there, and welcome to Bricks and Clicks. Today, I have Betsy McGinn on. She is the owner of McGinn Ecom. Now, Betsy has a really rich history in the CPG space. She was the director of e-commerce for 7th Generation. She's also worked in various capacities with other major CPG brands like Haines Celestial Group, Tazo Tea. Now, Betsy's also an author. She's the author of The Amazon Roadmap, which let me tell you is a super fun, super quick read, but can help you to master Amazon. And the other day, I was following Betsy on LinkedIn, and I saw this article pop up, and it was titled Thriving in the New Normal. And the more and more that I started to get into this article, I felt like my head was spinning, Betsy. I was like, oh my goodness, there are so many things for brands to consider these days when it comes to e-com. And I thought, I have to have her on this podcast. I need Betsy to tell my people what to do. So Betsy, thank you so much for being on the show today. Do you want to introduce yourself a bit? Thanks, Jen. Yes, I'm happy to be here. And um, I think a lot of people's heads are spinning right now because e-commerce is changing so rapidly. And things that we thought we knew even three months ago are very different today. So as you Mm -hmm. said, I've been in in e-commerce for a long time now, about 14 years, first with 7th Gen and then um, managing clients, or not managing, but launching clients and helping clients with their e-commerce business, um, either on Amazon or their own platforms. And, you know, so much has changed during that time. But there's also a lot of things that are still the same. And I think that's, you know, where you and I come together on how we manage this business. Yeah, I didn't even mention that piece. But Betsy and I have also worked together on a few clients. And Betsy helps brands get their strategy together for e-com. So not just Amazon, but a bunch of the other platforms that we're going to be talking about today. She comes in and overlays like a 30,000 foot view strategy so that the so that a brand can go, okay, now I have a roadmap. And then her and I have worked together where my company has kind of swooped in to then take on the day-to-day management of the nitty-gritty stuff like researching key keywords and managing advertising and that sort of thing. So Betsy, would you take some time today to just kind of cover with us what in the heck should an e-commerce strategy look like these days? And I'd say to keep in mind that a lot of my clients are more like small to mid-size versus some of the other brands that might feel a little bit intimidating that we've mentioned already on the podcast. You know, maybe if you could help us niche down to what does a brand need these days? Well, I think the, the strategy, whether you're a big or small brand, takes a similar format. And um, that's why I've developed this framework around six specific points that you need to get right for e-commerce that are very different for, than brick and mortar. So one is product. Do you have the right product in the right pack for the, the e-commerce consumer? So for example, if you're working with Amazon, you're probably not going to sell a single unit of something that costs $4.99, but maybe a three-pack or a four-pack or even a six-pack of that item makes sense for the consumer. And then what about pricing? There's this misconception that you have to have the lowest pricing to be successful on e-commerce. And in my opinion, that is dead wrong. Um, People shop on e-commerce for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is convenience, selection, um, free shipping, quick shipping, mm-hmm. all of those. And, and so many people are, are now digital natives that 
you know, that is how they shop. So if you are intent on making your pricing strategy, um, you know, the lowest you can on e-commerce, not only is it not good for your profitability, but for your pricing and the rest of the market. So I like to say product, price, um, promotion is another big one. How are you going to promote? Again, completely different than brick and mortar, but it has to be on and it's essential to have this always on strategy where you can constantly be discovered and acquire consumers. And then last but not least, understanding the platform. Um, this is where, where that post that I, I made, uh, you know, piqued your interest, Jen, because everybody thinks of e-commerce as one thing, and it is so not true. There are third-party platforms. There are There's direct-to-consumer. There's tack-on to existing successful brick-and-mortar businesses. There are um, pure-play partners that get serviced stri strictly by distributors. So you can see just in this brief conversation, how many different models there are, and they're not one size fits all. Mm. Do you want to tell us what the other two are? <laughs> Product pricing, placement, and promotion are the four that we know from um, regular retail marketing strategy. Those are, but they're very different in e-commerce. And then looking at profitability and understanding the platform, the last two are really essential. The profitability piece, again, is so different than brick and mortar because all of a sudden, you're factoring in um, costs like shipping or fulfillment or other special packaging even that you don't think about in your profitability model for stores. So it's important to look at that as part of your strategy and then dig deeply into whatever platforms you're considering to make sure that you are approaching them in a way that works for the consumer, but also works for that partner you might be working with. Okay. So that makes sense. Um, and I will make sure to, and put our, our notes, I'm taking notes during our conversation. I'll make sure and get those in the show notes below, as well as a link back to Betsy's article. And cause I know a lot of you guys are like me where you really visually want to see the material that we're talking about. So, so speaking of that, Betsy, there are so many different ways to sell on e-commerce. And I feel like as a brand, especially in food or in supplements, it really feels overwhelming. And I think the first place a brand tries to sell is, of course, their website. Two, typically they'll go jump onto Amazon. And then what else? What kind of a roadmap would you give them? Well, so Jen, for so many of the brands that you and I work with, and, and I'm sure it's not all in your case, but for me, largely, I work with consumables, which are groceries, um, health and beauty, uh, baby, you know, like diapers and wipes and households. So those products, I think, are really exceptionally well um, positioned for Amazon. You know, that's where people buy a lot of consumables. And it's clearly coming out, coming into and through this pandemic we're in. It's shown that Amazon is the number one grocery e-commerce partner. So Amazon is a great place to go. Now, I am a huge believer in direct-to-consumer platforms, especially, again, things have changed so much during COVID that I've seen a lot of even grocery and consumables action on people's direct-to-consumer websites. That didn't necessarily used to be the case because people want to go to someplace like Amazon or Thrive Market or VitaCost and build a basket of a huge variety of things. But I think in this time, you know, there are consumers that are just sticking their toe in the water 
going to direct to consumer sites or even um, having gone to Amazon, not be able to find the product they're looking for are then going to direct to consumer sites in hopes of finding it there. So I'd say the second place to land should be, you know, for volume, Amazon, for your own brand, direct to consumer. I want to pop in right there for one second because I completely agree with you. And I feel like my clients look at me like I'm a little bit crazy every time I'm like, we need to we need to sell more direct to consumer. You need to go find somebody that can help you with Facebook ads and one one click shopping and Instagram. And a lot of my clients are older. They're probably in their, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. And they just are like, what are you even talking about? Instagram shopping, one click shopping. What is this? And I love like I think as a as a consumer, I love it when a brand comes to me on the platform I'm at and I don't have to go fishing and hunting and trying to find them. It's exhausting. But I do think, and I agree with you, because of the loss of availability on huge e-commerce sites like walmart.com and Amazon, now more than ever, the consumer is willing to go on a hunt for you. And one of the clients I used to represent, um, they've now taken everything in-house. I'm so proud of them. Uh, but Good Wipes is one of the clients. And I got helped get them into Walmart. I managed their account on Amazon. And I have watched them completely abandon Amazon, which has been interesting, and move their shopper onto their own website, create subscription models. They're creating, I mean, all kinds of really cool things. And I I actually, I, I've, I've abandoned Amazon for them. I went onto their mm-hmm. website. I signed up for the subscription. It was like five, $10 cheaper than what I was buying on Amazon. And I thought, you know, I'm never going to have to hunt and try to find this product again and hope that it's in stock because every single month they kept going out of stock. It was exhausting, but it was something I really, really needed in my house. And I put the product on subscribe and save, like check that box, felt great because I was getting a value. We know that the brand is getting way more profit selling through their own website, and it becomes a win-win for everyone. Are you finding that, Betsy, where you're more willing to kind of go find people on their own websites and purchase directly? I am. And I, I love to tell the story of how during this time, one of my um, clients, they had a really successful direct-to-consumer site, got such a huge surge of orders in the course of one week that they had to shut down their direct-to-consumer because they weren't prepared for that. But the good news is, is that brands are getting prepared for that. And one of the most valuable pieces of doing that sort of business, of course, is the consumer information that you're able to gather mm-hmm. and further tailor your business around. You know, Jen, I, I totally agree with you. I'm a big Instagram fan. And when I get served ads on Instagram, they're the best ads that mm-hmm. I've ever seen because they are so targeted. They totally get who I am. They're absolutely things I would buy. They're beautiful and timely. And so that to me, I think has been one of the greatest tools to uh, leverage people to your direct consumer sites. I love that. Now, what else would you recommend a brand do to beef up their direct-to-consumer site? Like, how would they... Like, the first thing I think of is email marketing, right? Like, you need a freaking email list. But I think a lot of brands don't even know how to get a pop-up box, like an email capture form on their own website. Do you have like a little mini checklist of what you would... You know, if a brand today said, I want to go D to C, I have no freaking idea how to do that. Betsy, help me. (laughs) What are the three or five (laughs) things I need to do today to start making that happen? What would you say they should do? So first of all, you have to have a really well integrated system, like something like Shopify, which 
is so tailored to do direct to consumer and um, get you through some of those glitches that people don't know how to do with their own sites. Absolutely capture emails because those, as you know, are one of the biggest conversion factors. And as you grow that list and continue always to grow that list, don't, you know, just accept what you have, but continue to grow that list and then communicate about really timely and relevant things instead of just bombarding your consumers with emails. They can be subscription. They can be special offers. They can be new products or special products or special packs, but anything that can differentiate you from where else you're selling, whether it's online or in brick and mortar, that is a great direction to take your your, um, platform in. The other thing I have to say is if, in fact, there are um, challenges to a brand doing it themselves, I would definitely reach out to some of the experts in the field. And there are some folks, um, Jen, in our industry, particularly mm-hmm. around the natural products industry, that are really, they're great at it. They're on top of the trends, they understand how to help you get it set up, and they're not going to break the bank like some of the big agencies that I, you know, don't often work with because they don't work for my clients any more than they do for yours. Yeah, that's a really great point. One other thing I really love about D2C and email marketing is I feel like it's one opportunity within all of the platforms that are available to really be your authentic brand self. So back to my Good Wipes customer or my Good Wipes client, they've now got hats for sale. And Betsy, their slogan is, be a vaginius, you know, like it's a below the belt wipe. And it's a little out there. They really push the envelope of like what's appropriate and what's not. And they're very much hipsters, you know, in their early 30s. When I met them, they were in their 20s. And, and you can't necessarily take those angles when you're working with such larger CPGs, although they did sneak a slide in my Walmart deck that said, you know, you're a genius to the buyer, which I thought was kind of crazy. And they pushed the envelope there. But I have one other client through her email marketing that, you know, gives downloadable meditations. She's very much into, you know, whole body, whole health, whole mind kind of thing. And like, where else are you able to do that? And I think that that's really cool. Yeah. And one of the things I actually glossed over when I was talking about the six P's, when I talk about placement, what I'm really talking about is your shelf. So in stores, we think of placement as, you know, being at eye level on the shelf. In e-commerce, mm-hmm. it's about your content. It's mm-hmm. all about your content. And this, again, this pandemic time has made it more essential than ever to not only have the best content, but to consider where else your content is showing up and have it consistent and world-class across all platforms. You know, I'll give Instacart as an example. We don't sell anything to Instacart as brands. We, you know, don't really have that much interplay with them because we think of them as a delivery arm of a grocery store. But Mm -hmm. Instacart has the ability for you to do marketing with them, to update your content, to update your images. And that's a, a really good example of where you're getting a lot of consumer touch points And if you don't have great content, you're going to see consumers move on to another item that does. Mm, Good. I was at a conference where um, there was a statistic from Salsify, which is, you know, a content provider that said 69% of people will abandon a product page that doesn't have enough or accurate information. 
So think about that. Like think about how we, we are led to believe that maybe people abandon our product page because they don't like the looks of the product or it's too expensive or whatever. But so much of the time, it's about the content and the consumer not knowing what they're getting or not being impressed by what they're getting. And so it just really highlights during this time, especially as we're getting new users all the time in e-commerce, how important content is. I also like to say about content, do not spend a dime on marketing until it's great. Because why would you want to drive people to your site or Amazon or Thrive or any other partner if you have you know, less than stellar content. You're, that's the image of your product and you want it to look fantastic. I agree. And it's also the mechanism that magnetizes your ideal customer to you, right? If we think back to Good Wipes example with the You're a Virginia slogan, they're not they're not trying to get your mother to be their shopper, right? It's a very right. niche, very millennial, very hipster kind of brand. And I think that's wonderful, right? Because you know, today I did a Facebook Live on how to lower your ACOS on Amazon. And if anyone that's listening is like, what the heck is that? It just means the average cost of the sale of your ad when you're trying to get a purchase, like how much spend versus return are you getting? And one of the things um, that I had mentioned were like three different ways that you could lower, but this is a fourth I should have added. You know, you want to make sure that you are so tight in your content and the words and the copy that you're using and the images and the, the branding and the colors and the fonts that you're attracting your perfect shopper and that you're almost repelling the other ones that are not, right? So I have yes. one client, Betsy, that every review that they have gotten over the last few months, almost every review has been negative. I don't know what this is. This tastes like dirt. I don't know how to use it. And it's a very niche product that's very, very healthy. And they're just not doing a good enough job attracting that ideal Ayurvedic, very healthy, very kind of granola, crunchy, hippie yoga person with their branding. Because the person that's coming to try it is thinking that they're getting one thing and then they try it. And you know what I'm saying? So I love the idea of, to your point, you know, get your stuff so tight and so perfect that your ideal customer just falls in love with you when they fall into your item pages and then the right person converts. So you don't waste a lot of money on ads. You're right, Jen. And I, I often say that bad reviews are often about not bad product, but unmet expectations, right? If they don't understand your product, if they don't understand how to use your product, if they've perceived your product to be one thing that it's other than what it is, then that's on the content, right? It's not about the product as much as that communication with your consumer. And like you said, getting the right consumer to your product. Mm. So many good quotes coming out of this. I've got an e-com, it's all about your content, and bad reviews is because of unmet expectations already out of you, Betsy. These are fantastic. (laughs) So we've talked about selling on Amazon just a little bit. We talked about a little bit about D2C. What else would you say needs to be maybe on a checklist for brands in terms of what to go after for e-commerce? Yes. So one of the things that I also, um, and I, I alluded to earlier is because e-commerce is not one size fits all, it really can't be thrown into the e-commerce bucket at a company, right? So some, some brands think that anything that has a dot com in its name should be assigned to a one person or one division because it all is the same, right? Well, again, 
that it couldn't be further from the truth. So a good example of what you should be looking at too, if you are with a retailer that has a robust and effective e-commerce platform like Walmart or Target or even some of the grocery customers that we work with. And um, if you are thinking that that needs to be a separate piece within your company from the person who's already calling on that, that account, because so many of those accounts integrate their e-commerce with their brick and mortar business to such an extent that the person who's calling on the brick and mortar business needs to put an e-commerce hat on as well and not fragmented by saying, oh, that piece needs to be managed by somebody else in my company. So that is a great place to realize additional volume. But it does mean thinking a little bit differently, not just internally at your company, but as you, the person calling on that account. So it's just another example of how different they all are. I like to say, you know, accounts like Thrive and Vitacost and others, they are somewhat of an extension of your distribution network, right? They are sold through UNFI or whatever other distributor might be the one that's servicing them. So should you be thinking about them any differently than you would the accounts that are sold through that distributor um, that are stores. Like why not have the same people in your company responsible for those type of accounts? I just worry that that really strategic accounts like that get overlooked because the person that is sort of skirting the way that that, that that account gets their product, they're sort of skirting the edge of e-commerce and brick and mortar. And so often companies aren't sticking their toe as effectively into the dot-com side of their business. Does that make sense? Yeah, but you just rocked my world because that's not at all what I was thinking that you were going to say. So basically (laughs) you're saying, you know, what I think I see a lot of brands like they hire a 20-year-old and say, go learn e-commerce. And then the 20-year-old is responsible for every single e-commerce site, including Walmart.com and Amazon and the Thrive Vita Cost and the blah, 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 and the D2C and like... And you're saying, you know, kind of silo people or have people be in charge of like groups of accounts where it makes sense. So if you have someone that's over distributors or you have distributors you're holding responsible for distributor networks, include Thrive and Vitacost to their, you know, assigned territory, quote unquote, with air quotes. And then the omni-channel experience for each like a brick and mortar account, they also need to be in charge of the dot-com part of that retailer. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that is what I'm saying. Because I feel like they're Mm. so well integrated into those systems they're in, whether it is, you know, the Thrives and Vitacost buying from a distributor or the, you know, Targets and Walmarts integrating their dot-com with their brick and mortar. So by separating them out, I think you're losing not only efficiencies for your company, but you may be missing the mark on what's going on, um, on on both sides of, let's say, the target business so that so that you're not integrating them well for that retail partner, i.e. target, as well as you would be if you were managing the whole piece. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, I wouldn't have thought of that for some reason. Like in my mind, they're still all siloed. So so then does that mean that you actually need less people to help manage the e-com sides of your business? Or does your team grow bigger? What does that look like? I think you have to really 
first of all, think through how it's going to work. You know, I'm working with uh, a couple of companies right now where I'm helping them sort that exact thing out because there isn't a lot of clarity about who is responsible for what. And, and in, in fact, sometimes there's more people involved in the account than just that one. So, for example, the salesperson for Target would be the same as for Target.com. But they would really rely heavily on someone in marketing that can help them with the shopper marketing programs that are necessary for both sides of the business, right? So, mm-hmm. so you may not, you as the salesperson may not be skilled at that marketing piece. So you bring others into the equation. You might even need to bring operations people into the equation to make sure that that customer is serviced because it might be different than what you're used to servicing directly as the brick and mortar. So I think it has to be figured out for every company, but I've just seen how challenging and frustrating it is for brands that just throw everything in called e-com in one bucket and expect those folks on that team to just figure it out. Because it isn't always, you're not always able to figure it out in a way that's best for the company if you're going to be responsible for it and you have someone else responsible for another piece of the business. Yeah, that makes sense. And if you already have account managers for specific accounts within your organization, knowing that most buyers aren't taking meetings right now anyway, now's a perfect time to go lump some additional responsibility onto their plate, let them pivot a little bit, go learn the e-com side, and then take a little pressure off of, you know, the one twenty year old in your office running all of the e-commerce sites, right? Right. And I guess for so many of our brands, Jen, they are just small and nimble enough where they do figure it out in a way that really works for them and for the account. And that, I think a lot of bigger companies could learn from that. Um, There's, you know, the small, nimble, pivot on a dime, um, able to cover whatever is really a quality that has made so many of these digital native brands so successful. And it's it's created um, sort of like a way into the market for them that didn't exist even 15 years ago. And that's one of the things I love most about e-commerce and all of its manifestations is what it's been able to do for some of our, nat- you know, these natural brands that we work with and specialty brands that, you know, maybe not would not have been as successful in the past because of the limitations of competing with the bigger companies on a traditional playing field. Yes. Your time is now. (laughs) That's what I want to tell all of them. Like now is the time to push on the gas. It's not the time to shrink back and be scared and lay a bunch of people off and and limit your marketing spend. If you're a small to mid-sized brand, now is your time to put the pedal to the metal so that you can get ahead of some of these major CPG brands while they're floundering and they can't get toilet paper restocked. And I can't find, you know, antiseptic wipes, sanitizing wipes to save my life still. I mean, like, hand sanitizer is still really hard to find, which is completely ridiculous, right? So all of you that are small to mid-size, like go be scrappy, be nimble. And Betsy, did we miss anything? Is there any other platform or any other suggestion of how to be additionally nimble right now just to get to the consumer and, and make some additional sales? No, I think we've covered them all. You know, I I do. I I agree with you, though. This is the time. Don't wait because the seeds you're planting now are for your future. This is not a fad. This is a trend that has been accelerated by four to five or maybe more years. So jump in, you know, get it right and just take advantage of this opportunity. 
Mm-hmm. Betsy, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you let people know how they can find you? What's the best way to do that? You can visit my website at um, mcginnecom.com and contact me through that. Uh, buy my book on Amazon, The Amazon Roadmap, How Innovative Brands Are Reinventing the Path to Market. And my contact information is there as well. Awesome. And I'll make sure to include both of those links in the show notes below so that you guys have them. Thank you so much, Betsy. We've loved having you you on today and we'll see you soon. Yes. Thanks, Jen. Bye-bye.